Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 84, 2018 in review, recorded on December 20th, 2018. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, honey. How are you? I'm very good. And I'm ready to assess your year. Well, you know, this is part and parcel of I I happen to be a great believer, probably because you taught me this, that one of the ways that you learn is by looking back at what happened and not sort of either wallowing in it or, uh, you know, obsessing about it, but more looking at it and saying, what are the lessons learned? What are the things that I can take away? And certainly time, as in looking back at a year, gives you perspective on a lot of things that happened. Okay, uh, let's start. I mean, let's start with sort of categories of things you've done this year. Uh, so I think a big category this year, particularly at the beginning of the year, was sewing. Oh, okay. Because I, um, as you know, I uh, signed a contract to do sewing machines on Home Shopping Network or HSN for Brother uh, in the previous year. And I really wanted to make sure that my sewing skills were up to par, shall we say? Um, because I'm and a also very... you had not used a brother sewing machine. I hadn't. I'd used a different brand, so I really wanted to make sure that I knew what I was doing. And because the thing about Home Shopping Network, right, is it's it's not just that you have to know how to use the machine; it's you have to be able to know it well enough, so well in your bones that you can talk, think react, do a project. And I don't develop the projects that we show on air. So I have to learn the project. So it's like teaching somebody else's project while, you know, chatting with a host while listening to a producer in my ear while operating the machine. Da, 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 da. And you can obviously that means you have to know the product really, really well. Plus, so. which when there are disasters, which there <laughs> have been, you have to be able to fake it. Yeah, or you have to be able to fix them, too, and know how to make the adjustments or to explain why it happened. So it's a more intimate level of knowledge. And so I wanted to – I had sort of declared that 2018 was going to be my year of sewing. And I had um, set out this ambitious goal that I was going to do a quilt a month. That did not happen, by the way. I'm here to tell you. Um, I signed up for the insane Nancy Crow two weeks at the Crow Barn, which I know we've discussed on the podcast. I took a ton of different quilting and sewing classes, including a garment sewing classes, because one of the things that Brother is most known for is Project Runway, which is garment sewing. And that's something that's hugely identified with their brand. And so I wanted to make sure that I knew how to sew a garment. It's something that I actually have been interested in for a long time. So that's a genuine interest, which is nice. Um, and it was a fantastic class. And I uh, have been too scared to sew another garment. But one of my 2019 goals is to sew <laughs> is to sew a couple more garments. Um, I would really like to bring that into like my skill set. Okay. So I would say, and I want to just mention this about failed projects. And maybe failed is a harsh word, but maybe it's also not because I think you need failure, which is, you know, I stated very boldly, oh, I'm going to make a quilt every month in 2018. And then, you know, life got in the way and it didn't happen. And at first, you know, I was disappointed in myself and I was mad at myself and I was kicking myself and all those kinds of things. And then the issue really became, are you pursuing this goal because you want to or because you think you ought to? 
That's a very important question. It is. And I think that, you know, listen, I was in line recently for an airplane and, you know, they call you by boarding group. And there was a little boy and he announced incredibly loudly to his parents, I do not want to wait in that line. And I thought, you and me both, kid. (laughs) Right? Nobody in life, there are plenty of things you have to do that you don't want to. And I sort of face this question about like, is finishing a quilt a month something in that category of things I have to do? Like, I have to do my taxes. I have to do my billing. I have to, you know what I mean? All those things. Or is in that category of things that I feel like I ought to and it's a fake obligation. And I, I decided it was a fake obligation and that one of the things about growing up that I like so much is that I have the right to say, you know what, I don't want to finish this book. I'm not enjoying it. Or I'm not going to read this magazine from beginning to end. I'm just going to read the things that interest me or whatever it is. Like you don't, we make these false obligations to ourselves. And I think it's important to let go of things when they're no longer serving you. Okay. So that was sort of the big lesson there. Um, I also think from my sewing I became aware really of two different things that I think are important to talk about, which is one, you know, a number of people after the Nancy Crow experience asked me if I was going to come back to the barn. And I think we talked about this in the podcast too, but it's worth saying again, which is, and I said, you know, I've really enjoyed these two weeks, but I can't do the work that is required by Nancy, understandably between now and the next offering or even between now and a year from now because I have too many other things going on and so it would be kind of a waste Mm -hmm. of her time and my time and money you know to come back when you haven't done the work in between and here again it could be not just that I can't but I don't really want to yeah I think what it would mean is I would have to put aside too many other projects in order to be able to make that my my main focus. And, you know, it's kind of like I remember when I went to college and you told me that one of the big changes from high school was going to be that I'd have to narrow my focus both academically and extracurricularly, that as things sort of intensified, it was harder and harder. You couldn't sort of do the paper and the drama club and the, you know, student uh, government and the student yeah. government. And the, like you couldn't do all those things um, because things sort of intensify. And I think as life goes on, one of the things that is scary is that things seem to narrow. Right. And that I could not pursue art quilting at that level and pursue my job and my business and my other interests and my social life and, 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 and. And so that's a decision that had to be made. But I also think, um, so that's one part of it. But I think the other part of it comes down to, and Lisa Congdon, who is an artist and illustrator who I like very much, recently posted this image on her Instagram that I thought was really smart. It was a list of ways to get better. And it was a list of 10 items. And I think six of the items were the word practice. Right. Because the truth of the matter is there is no shortcut, you know what I mean, to learning to play the oboe or how to draw or how to paint or design or quilting or anything like that. You have to practice. And you can't have the expectation that you're going to be able to uh, work at an exceedingly high level in multiple categories just because that's sort of humanly impossible. I think you can do it in phases, meaning there's a period of time in which you're focused on this and a period of time in which you're focused on that. 
but I think of myself more like a puddle. I'm sort of <laughs> interested in dabbling in a lot of things, but quite shallow. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that was that was going to require a deep dive. And I just either was not interested or told myself I did not have the time, whatever it was, to commit to that. Okay. So that's kind of my sewing lessons. But also on the sewing front, I will say, and this gets into sort of the category of firsts, which is I did my very first HSNTS, which is more than a lot of letters. <laughs> So what that is, is on Home Shopping Network, every day there's a today's special. And a today's special is the item that is sort of featured. Um, it's Just kind now of the, I lost you briefly. Oh, sorry. It's kind of the anchor for the day, whatever the today's special okay. is. And so I had my very first today's special, which was doing a sewing machine. And then during the day, there was also a serger and there was a scanning cut. And I think there was the P-touch. There was a whole bunch of stuff. But it's a crazy 24-hour rodeo. And, you know, HSN had been, um, I think, a little – had not had sewing on for maybe two or three years. Uh, And they sort of have been bringing it back slowly this year. And I think this was the first sewing TS in a long time. And it was also my first, so I was very, very nervous. But it went incredibly well, and we sold out, which was incredibly exciting. And I think for me, that was a huge confidence builder that the time I had invested in really learning the machine inside and out, that I had forced myself to, you know, make a garment on it, make a quilt on it, make, um, you know, a purse on it, make all sorts of things on it, that that experience uh, had paid off, that the practice had had resulted as I had hoped it would. Have you also found that now because you are more comfortable on that sewing machine that you are incorporating it in other projects, non-directly yeah. sewing? You know, it's interesting. I actually have an impulse to use my sewing machine quite often because I like it and enjoy it. And I often have to remember because some of what I do is for tutorials and for helping people that not everybody has access to a sewing machine. And so I try to back off it a little bit just because of that. It's the same way that I could use the scan and cut for everything. But oftentimes I hand cut or I do other things because, again, people don't always have access to these tools um, but I always find it funny because as soon as I, I do that, someone always says to me, well, couldn't you have just done that with a scan and cut? And the answer is, yes, of course I could have. But, you know, this is an alternative for people who don't happen to own one. Right. Okay. Like now you're teaching a NOTAN class. I, I assume am. you could do NOTAN easily on a scan and cut, but you cut by hand. Yeah. I, For people who don't know what it is, why don't you tell what it is? So NOTAN refers to the balance of light and dark. It's a Japanese term, and it's really about, like, the balance. So an example of it would be, like, the Chinese yin and yang symbol, which I think most of us have seen. It looks like sort of two tadpoles intertwined. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea of, like, the perfect balance between the two. And so if you can get better at NOTAN – or the balance between light and dark, all of your design gets better, whether you're painting or drawing or photography or anything, because you start to understand. In fact, I just went to an Ansel Adams exhibit at the MFA, which was because because so many of his images are black and white. It was actually a fantastic like lesson in Notan right in front of you about how to use light and dark to tell a story, create uh, secondary shapes, all kinds of stuff. But how we create or how we approach studying NOTAN in the course is through the use of the expanded square. 
which is a kind of paper cutting exercise. And I actually do have a lesson in the course about using a scan and cut to do it if people want to, but it's buried at the very end of class. And I don't mean buried, but it's, it's, it's at the very end of class because I think the act of hand cutting is instructive, but I also understand and I wanted to give people another alternative in case the hand cutting was tedious or problematic or they felt arthritic or anything like that. Um, because I know how upsetting it can be to have those kind of physical things get in your way. That's not very nice. So uh, that is, I have to say, you commented to me, actually, Mom, after seeing some of my stamps for Carve December this year, mm-hmm. you said, do you think you're a better carver? And I said, I don't think I'm a better carver, as in my um, carving skills are better, but I think my stamps and my prints are better because I spent the last, like, year and a half, maybe two years, really immersed in no tan and doing a lot of expanded squares for myself, that I think I am more hyper aware of the balance of light and dark, and it has made my designs stronger because of that. So that would be an example of how your stamp carving has changed through this year. Yeah, definitely. I I, I am so always... Uh, glad when Carve December comes around because I feel like stamp carving is one of the things that I love to do but I somehow forget about sometimes you know because it's uh I don't know because it's sort of off to the side and I have so many hand carved stamps that I've made but then as soon as I start carving I really enjoy it and I'd even say this is the fifth year of Carve December which seems crazy I hardly can believe that I remember when we did the first podcast about Carve December like it was yesterday um but basically this year I put out prompts mainly because my assistant Suzanne suggested that it would be good a lot of challenges that she does have prompts and she said it was always useful to her and I was ready to hate the prompts I was like this is going to be horrible it's going to be a stranglehold I hate it when people tell me what to do I don't like this but I was like you know what maybe some people will participate because they needed a starting point and this will give it to them. And, and you know, my goal of Carve December is always to get the most number of people carving stamps humanly possible. And so I put out this list of prompts, which basically like what I did is I took a bunch of different words and I divided them into categories. I was like, okay, I need some verbs. I need some adjectives. I need some nouns. I need, you know what I mean? And then I need some shapes and then I just randomized them and then put them out as the list. And I was like, well, I'll try to play along with the prompts until they annoy me. And, you know, the amazing thing is today is December 20th. So it's the 20th day. The prompts have been the most fantastic thing ever. And I have learned a really important lesson because of that, which is A, to stop having preconceived notions of what I will and won't like until I try it. Right. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, which should be obvious. And yet it's not. But B, that... That limits, which I think I already knew, but I have to learn the lesson over and over, that limits are enormously freeing to your creativity. And I feel more excited about the stamps I'm carving, more creative about the choices I'm making, more invested in the stamps that are coming out of, you know, what's happening because of those prompts. So that has been fantastic. And it's also really forced me to confront this question I have, which is like, Okay, so the prompt is heart. Okay, well, I have 50 heart stamps because every time I teach a stamp carving class, the first stamp I teach anybody to make is a heart because it has an inside point, an outside point, curves, straight parts. Do you know what I mean? It's just a really good shape 
mm-hmm. to learn on. And everybody knows what a heart looks like. So that's always one. So I have a million of those. So then it made me think like, okay, well, what is the heart stamp that I need right now? What is the heart stamp that's missing? What is the what what is the thing that would be most useful to me? And I have found that that attitude has carried on with every stamp I've created because it's like, okay, well, it's not just that I need to make something that fits the prompt. I need to make something that both fits the prompt and is something that I need in my arsenal of stamps, something that suits me and the way that I use stamps because I don't use stamps the way necessarily that other people use stamps. I'm more into patterns than I am into like icons or objects. I tend to mostly use my stamps in black and white, you know, I tend to, I mean, so I think I have, I know myself as an artist a little more. And so the prompts have been forcing me to really think about that stuff, which has been fantastic too. So two things. Didn't you tell me that because in October you had a print October where people printed the stamps they already had a different print every day. Didn't you say that that really helped you think about your stamps? It did. It totally did. Because so Inktober is this thing that this. Inktober. Yeah. is this thing that this illustrator, uh, Jake Parker, started. We were supposed to do an ink drawing every day in October. And I just knew I wasn't going to have the time to do it. I've done it in the past and it's been great, but I was going to be traveling and I wouldn't have the time. And I thought, what's quick and easy? And I was like, well, nothing is quicker than grabbing a stamp and stamping it a couple times. And I was like, why don't I do print Inktober, which is still ink, but it's just a different version. And so, again, the thing that was interesting about that is instead of using stamping as a tool, as part of a larger art piece, it was trying to say, how am I a printmaker? Like, can I create things that look like a finished piece of art that you would hang on your wall just using stamps, just using stamps? You know, and I, I really tried to put no limitations on it so everybody could participate. So even if you're not a stamp carver, it was bring your rubber stamps, your silicone stamps, your foam stamps, like whatever you've got, and let's print. And the other thing that was important, too, is I feel like I carve all these stamps in December, and then there are like two or three that are my favorites that I use over and over, and the rest kind of get neglected. So this was great to drag out old blocks, blocks I had carved in, you know, 2011, 2012, like, you know, years ago. Uh, and sort of bring them back and remember where I was, what the design things were that I was thinking of. But again, like trying to make those quote unquote finished prints did make me think about how the stamps were either helping me towards that or hurting me. And I think I've taken that design thought process with me into Carve December so that as I'm carving, I'm also thinking about the stamps as how are these going to be as I walk towards creating finished prints not just like a fun little stamp that looks cute on a tag. So if people wanted to see the the prints that people have made, the stamps that they've carved, they can go to hashtag Carve December on Instagram. Yeah, so that's for Carve December. And I think Print Inktober also was just hashtag Print Inktober. All okay. one word. So yeah, you can see both of those. So that's stamps. Uh, what other areas have you... I can tell you one area, I've already told you this, where I think you've improved through the year, and that is because I went to see you film your next season of your TV show, Make It Artsy, and I watched you on camera and felt you were more relaxed than in the past, more casual, more you, more 
informal in a certain way. And you said you thought that being on HSN, which is live TV, had really helped you loosen up on camera. Yeah, I think this is the trial by this is the old like idea right that it be about being thrown into the deep end of the pool and either you swim or you sink and sometimes to me hsn feels that way because it is live and things do happen and go wrong and i have managed to recover from enough bad things that have happened without anyone noticing that it has relaxed me a little bit and also you know when you're on air for an hour you can't really hide who you are. Like, I mean, I guess you can. Maybe I'm just not that good at it. But so I'm silly and ridiculous and weird and I am sing-songy and bizarre and I think that's all fine. And so I think I've become more comfortable with letting all of that stuff show. I also think that I feel more, uh, when I'm doing Make It Artsy, I feel more like I want people to have fun it's not just about throwing directions at people it's also i mean the reason they're watching on their tv and instead of watching a youtube video is because it's entertainment as well and i think you have to enjoy what you're doing in order for the people watching to enjoy it too okay so another thing i think you've changed this year your instagram posts now have they're like little mini blog posts because you you talk a lot more about the images that you're posting. Yeah, well, something I realized is I had always thought of my blog as like the main receptacle for everything. But then I realized like how many blogs do I still read anymore? And I really I don't consume blogs like I used to. Right. I used to have a million blogs that I read every day, but there are very few people who post every day anymore now. Um and while I still do post almost every Monday through Friday, you know, I found that there were a lot of people who were only consuming stuff through Instagram. And so I felt the need to uh, to make Instagram almost like mini blog posts and also for people to okay somebody once said this to me and i think it's really true they said people don't follow you on instagram because they're your fans like nobody's your fan you have to get over that idea people follow you because of the way you make them feel because of whatever it is that you're giving them and i thought okay well what am i giving to people on instagram i'm not a fantastic photographer i don't take those super cool hip images i definitely don't have a clean house i don't have an adorable child running around like do you know what I mean? What is the thing that I'm giving to people? And I was and I was like, I believe that I create great content. I believe that I am smart and funny and interesting and knowledgeable and curious and that I'm a good writer and that I can share those things with people. And so I thought that's what I need to do on my Instagram is I need to give people the same thing I give them on my blog, which is content. So it's more than a photo. It's a story, it's a how-to, it's information, it's thought process in case you're interested in, you know, that part of it. Um, but I think all of that's really important because I think the thing that I want people to feel when they look at my Instagram or when they read my blog is I want them to feel um, both excited, like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go make this. And I want them to feel empowered, like, 
as in I have the knowledge to do this or I feel confident about myself or I like myself after reading this. Um, and I think I also want them to feel like connected. So I try to share as much as I can. Personally, I think that's what the vlog has been about. Um, you know, as much as I can to keep some comfortability, you know, have some semblance of privacy uh, and decorum. But yeah, you know, I think those are sort of the things that I want people to feel is, uh, what did I even say? Empowered? <laughs> uh sort of you know educated a little bit and excited and also just really connected i suppose i can make them all ease engaged yeah uh so are there some other areas in which you think you've grown this year you know the number one way in which i have grown this year is letting go of stuff that doesn't serve me and if that's a lesson I can take into my real life, too, that would be great. Because I also, another project I abandoned, I have abandoned multiple projects this year. One of the many projects that I have abandoned this year is I, for the 100 day project this year, I tried doing 100 days of art tweets. And what I discovered is I just didn't enjoy it that much. And it sort of dropped out by the wayside. And I found that while I was tapping into a somewhat different audience, it felt very much like screaming into the wind. I don't want to have a Twitter fight with anybody. I'm not interested in getting into, you know what I mean, any kind of that stuff. And that a lot of stuff on Twitter I was reading was just depressing me. <laughs> so mm. I, told, I ended up dropping out of that project sometime around day 70 maybe. Um, and then another project. And nobody noticed. And nobody noticed or said, hey, Julie, what happened to your 100 days of art tweets, which was also you kind of like. You owe me 30 art tweets. Well, it actually reminds me of Mae Flom, who's a friend of mine, a crafter. She's been a guest on this podcast. She had her Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter account hacked by someone who took them over. And she said after that experience, she decided not to open a new uh, Twitter account because no one on Twitter noticed that this guy was posting like pornographic images and all sorts of stuff. Whereas people on Instagram and Facebook contacted her immediately to say like, what is happening? Your account has been hacked. And so she was like, that shows you. Yeah. No Ooh. one was paying attention. Where the eyes are. Exactly. So I think, you know, crafts and arts and stuff, maybe because it's a visual medium, medium is less interesting to Twitter than like politics, sports, you know, finance, some of that other stuff. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. even pop culture. So that was a good project, I think, to ditch and a good thing to discover. Because again, like the only failure is in not learning a lesson. There is no failure, you know, otherwise. And so I feel like that wasn't so much a failed project as it was a quit project. Because I figured that out. The other project which I quit, but I would actually like to call it I pause buttoned, is I started this project where I wanted to make all these four by four abstract paintings um, to sort of study a little bit about abstracts and to sort of like test things out. And I really enjoyed them. And I felt that they pushed me. But again, it's one of those things where I started to just... It wasn't on my like hit list of really important things. And I, you know, I listen. So when I'm on the airplane, which I often am, one of the things I love about a lot of airplanes is they now have these, you know, individual screens in the back of the mm -hmm. um, seat in front of you. And so I fly Delta a lot. And on Delta, they let you watch all these LinkedIn videos. 
And, huh. I, and I'm not a huge LinkedIn person, but there are all these videos, they're like less than five minutes, most of them, that are about business skills. And they change every month. So every time you, you know what I mean, every few times you go on the plane, they're different if you go, you know, pretty regularly. And I watched one that was about uh, goal setting. And the thing that the woman said on it that has stayed with me now, and this is probably five months after I watched it, but I really thought about it. And she said, listen, the problem that most people make and why they don't achieve their goals is they have too many goals. They have too many things that they want to achieve. And the truth of the matter is you can't achieve, you know what I mean, so many things. And she was like, probably max you can have three goals, like two work, one personal, or one personal, two, you know, whatever it is. Like you just can't handle really more than three, right? And so I started to think about it and I was like, wow. At a time. At a time. What she means at a time. is at a time. Not in mm-hmm. life, but at a time. So I was like, well, that's fascinating because, you know, I probably have like 12 personal goals and 15 business goals all at once. And so I'm not doing a good job at any of them because I'm not focused. And she did say like, pick your three goals and then reevaluate, you know, in a month, in six months and figure out how you're doing at them. And if something's going really well, great. And if something else is not serving you, kick it off and get a new goal on there. And I was like, that's a really good way of putting it. Cause it's not like you can, you have to completely drop the other things as balls, but it's like, it's like, actually this loops back to what we talked about at the beginning, right? You can only really hyper-focus on a small number of things. And this is a particularly crazy year for me between like the house renovation could be a job all by itself. So that's like a huge thing that's been happening that takes up an enormous amount of time. I mean, the house hunt was a job too, right? And that was a huge part of 2018 right. was hunting for the house and then getting the house ready for renovation and then da da da, da all that kind of stuff. So that so was I suppose a huge thing. you could count as progress the fact that you actually did find and managed to purchase a house. I do. I count that as a huge accomplishment. And I, it's one of the reasons a lot of people have asked me when I'm getting married because I uh, got engaged in July. And I have told everybody that I am not getting married until the house is done. In fact, I told my lovely patient fiance that I don't want to plan a wedding until the house is done. And part of that is because planning a wedding is a huge job in its, of itself. And yeah. I just, I just think that you know, a wedding is the beginning of a marriage. And since I've been married and I know that like marriage is a long-term thing, you know, I, I want to be in a good place and not hating my life every single day that I have to talk about wedding stuff. Do you know what I mean? I want it to be a pleasant and pleasurable thing. And I just thought I don't have the bandwidth to do it in a pleasant way. So let's mm-hmm. just put it off until I do. So I think that has been, but that actually, now that I realize this, oh my God, I'm having so many epiphanies, mom, but I'm so glad, (laughs) but that actually is part and parcel of what I said about the learning to let things go. Like, I think the 22 year old me would have been like, no, I have to plan this insane wedding right now on top of everything else, because that, you know what I mean, is what is supposed to happen and and it's weird if we don't get married right away. And the, you know, much older me is like calm down. You know, you can get things done in your own time, your own way. Like you don't have to do what other people would like you to do. Rather focus on the relationship than on the wedding. Exactly. It seems crazy, right? So, so that actually has been really good. But so the goal setting thing, just to loop back one more time, is uh, been good because actually 
right after I watched that video, I started writing in my bullet journal in my beloved Bujo. Um, and I came up with what the goals were that I wanted to focus on. And one of them, which I'm so pleased about, is that I wanted to um, stop being lazy about my online classes. And I wanted to get out a regular menu of online classes. And so I came up with this whole system. This is all while I was on an airplane, by the way, that I came up with this. I came home with a four-page Word document that I had typed up out of notes I had scribbled in my bujo. Um, but it was about, you know, creating a curriculum so that there'd be like a semester system. And basically every three months, there'd be four new classes for people so that there was a constant, you know, something to learn. And all those questions that people ask me, they'd have an opportunity to dive into a little bit deeper. And I thought it would be good for my business. I thought it would be good for like my email, which I often get the same question, you know, multiple times in a day. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm so pleased and proud of myself that I managed to get that up and going. And I'm hoping that 2019 will see me really get on a good, like regular schedule for getting all that content out to people. Do you want to talk about what the four different kinds of classes are? Yeah. So I want to, I was thinking about like, A, I wanted to have classes for people in all price ranges. And I wanted to have classes that would be um, sort of better or equivalent to taking a class in person with me, right? And also to suit different styles and levels and all that kind of stuff. So um, I have sort of the big class, which is called like a major intensive. And that's a class that I think would be akin to if you took like um, in person, like a week long or even longer class with me. So it's, it's uh, like, I think the current one is more than 30 uh, videos and it's just it's a really deep dive and so this one is about jelly journaling which is a kind of art journaling that I do where you print directly into the journal and then you create these drawings on top of it and it sounds really simple and you think well that could be one video <laughs> but the but one of the things I love about teaching online classes it allows you to really um go into things at a micro level. So there are a couple videos that are just about troubleshooting. It's like, hey, what happens if I get a spot in my jelly print and I want to cover it up? Hey, what happens if it doesn't print all the way into the crack? Hey, what happens if my pages rip because the paint stuck together? Like it just, it covers sort of all that stuff. And then in the drawing portion, it gets into like, hey, what if I can't draw? How, so it shows you how to use a stamp, how to use a stencil, how to use other stuff. And it's even like, what if I don't have a stencil? So I show you how to make a stencil. Like it really covers so much. Then the next uh, class is called a mini intensive. And that's a class that I expect you could complete in a month. Um, whereas I think the major intensive class, you probably need the full three month semester to finish. So the mini intensive, I think you could complete it in a month. Um, and that is the one that's the NOTAN or expanded square, which is about the design and the, uh, you know, balance between light and dark. And I think that mm -hmm. one probably has like 20 videos or something. Um, and then there are two small classes, which are just 20 bucks a piece. Um, and they are, one is a project class, meaning I take you through a project from start to finish. And the other is a um, technique class where I show you a technique. So the project class is called Book of Color. 
Um, and I show you how to make a book from one sheet of paper. And then it's an exploration of monochromacity. So we go through the rainbow where you just layer different reds, different, you know, oranges, different yellows, etc., to see sort of a what's in your um, stash at home that you already have, how it all works together. Um, you know, some things that I discovered is stuff like, oh my gosh, every yellow I have is the exact same yellow. I need to open my idea of what yellow is and buy some different colors, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or things like blue. I'm super deep in blue. I barely touched my blue collection because I have 20 shades of blue in paint, in markers, in pencils, in spray ink. You know what I mean? Because I really like blue. So that was sort of interesting. And then the technique this um, month is uh, marker monoprinting, which is where I show you all the different ways that you can monoprint with markers. So not just on a jelly plate, also, you know, on a page protector, on a plastic bag, like all sorts of things. And so again, like there's a class for every level. There's a class for different interests. There's class at different prices. There's a class, you know what I mean, that will suit you depending on your time. And then of course, because you never lose access to the classroom, you have lifetime access or actually you have my lifetime access. I can't promise <laughs> that the classroom will keep going after I die. Um, but you know, because of that, it means that you can buy it now and you can still look back at it, you know, five years later. And, and I think that's the best part about online learning is that unlike an in-person class, we have to be really hyper vigilant about taking notes in the moment. You have all this content. People ask me all the time in uh, in uh, in-person classes for handouts. And I always say, there is no handout. You know, I don't really do handouts. But sure enough, in my online classes, you see them right there for you so that's kind of nice so then you'll have another round of four I at will. all these different levels coming up in march i want to say okay so the way that it works is december january february is the winter semester so then march april may right june july august september october november so coming up with that plan on an airplane that was developing a particular business plan. And I think one of the reasons you are successful is you approach your business as a business and you make these kinds of plans, whether you're using your Bujo or a spreadsheet or whatever, you don't just sort of haphazardly jump into things. Yeah, I mean, I think I have haphazardly jumped into things. Well, I think when you began when you began this art career, the art journey, you sort of okay, I'll try blogging every day, and but you immediately then, I saw that you started developing like a calendar of what you would blog about. I mean, I think your natural the way your brain works is to make some kind of business plan well I, for I, and then i agree to figure out how to you know how to make more out of it so you could use like one idea in a post and then you could use it in instagram and then you could use it in something else i think i'm a list maker by nature which is part of the mm -hmm. reason that a bullet journal or a bujo works for me because i i like lists they make me feel like i know what's happening and i'm somewhat in control of the situation I also think that I am probably my biggest critic because I constantly feel like I am not organized enough, that I wish I was more organized. But I actually think 
what that I'm going to give myself a compliment now, which is I think I'm organized but flexible. And that is something that age has taught me, which is when something is not going right, this is a back to when you need to quit a project, like whatever it is, that you are flexible enough to be able to make a turn to the left or the right or anything else. And and I will use as a um, example of when that's not true is uh, – I do some volunteer work with an organization, a large organization, and they have some very uh, corporate structure to them. And so it's very hard for the organization to turn or to change because it has to go through 50 levels of approval, you know what I mean, back and forth, which I understand because it's a huge, you know, organization. But I also think it leads to less creativity, less flexibility, less ownership of things, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I feel like the wonderful thing about having a business that is just me uh, is that I I can be flexible and I need to remember that and not get wrapped up in pushing towards something that's no longer interesting to me or no longer serving me. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, let's let's hope I can take that lesson into my real life, into my personal life, because it's somehow easier to see it in business, because I think it it's like you're looking at what's the financial, um, what's the financial payback for the energy expended, right? Like, I remember I had this internship right out of college at this theater company. And at some point, I figured out that I was making 25 cents an hour for the internship. And that when I, if I bought my lunch on a day, instead of bringing it from home, I was paying to work there, Right. Uh, That's a good realization. <laughs> it is. It was a good realization. Um, but the thing is, like, that that was, like, really realizing, you know, what are you putting in and what are you getting out? And in the end, like, what I was getting out of it wasn't money. I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it for the experience of what the job was. But I think that's why like I'm always looking at these projects that way too which is like okay if it's not a financial gain are you learning something are you enjoying it are you pushing yourself into a new level are you practicing a skill that's difficult you know it's like I've been taking this pottery class um you know and that of course is not doing anything for me but it's doing everything for me because I feel somehow more creative more excited more frustrated more sort of everything because it's such a new medium to me that it's been a fantastic experience. I mean, fantastic enough that I, I'm thinking that I might sign up for another pottery class next semester. The other thing is also it's I've noticed that when we go to craft fairs and things now, you look at the pottery completely differently. So you feel like you're learning not just to do something, but you're learning to assess and value and appreciate some of a form of art that you have not heretofore been able to do. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I think that's, and then you're teaching me about it. I think that's great. In fact, you, you, your didn't your pottery teacher say that people who go to craft fairs and know what they're looking for, they look at the bottom. Yeah. They flip, they the flip item. pottery over to see the foot right away to look at some of that stuff. And like normal people don't do that. And I think it's like, Every Like when I tried weaving, do you remember that weaving class that we went to at the Harvard Art Museum? 
I have to tell you that I just threw out my little weaving no! sample. Yes, it was so awful, <laughs> and I've kept it around for a year probably in a bag, never would show it to someone, can't use it for anything. And then the other day I just said, this has got to go. Well, you let go of it because it wasn't serving you, I guess. Exactly. Well, it never had. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so hard to do that weaving, and it we probably spent an hour, and we got like less than an inch Right. Right. And so now when I go to a craft fair and I see people who are weavers who have woven a scarf or a blanket, I'm like, no kidding. That's five hundred dollars. Like, I know what that took. And I, I think it's the thing kind of about there's a there's a show on TV, which I've seen a couple times called Undercover Boss. Right. And the idea, of course, is that the people who run these corporations don't understand anything that's happening either in the factory, in the storefront, like at that base level. So they don't know what it's really like. And so they're running the company in a way that's not aware of what the workers actually go through, which I think is a is an ongoing problem. Right. Right. Um, and so I think this in a sort of sideways level is the same idea, which is. The number of times that people uh, say things. Well, you have to finish. You have to finish what undercover boss usually. Oh, sorry. So undercover boss is usually so the CEO comes and like let's say it's a CEO of I don't even know like Hooters. So they come and they work in Hooters, and they see like what the staff is doing, how the customers are reacting to things, you know, what the uh problem employees are or a bad manager or bad you know uh things that they've put in and then they they surprise everybody by taking off their disguise and saying hey i'm actually so and so the ceo of hooters and you know this is unacceptable or we've got to change our policies or do you know what i mean whatever it is well also they they understand the ways in which corporate sometimes gets in the way of actually accomplishing the goals. Yeah, or even sabotaging what they say they want, you know. And so it reminds me a little bit of, you know, my you you obviously know this better than I do. I only heard about it that my father worked in a factory that made people go to the restroom alphabetically. So if you had an A name, you were in a lot of trouble because that was your bathroom break. And it was at the beginning of the day. And if you had a Z name, you also had a lot of trouble, right? And that that's like, that may be more efficient on some level to give people bathroom breaks based on their alphabetical order, but it isn't like human or normal, right? And so it's treating people as if they're cogs, not people. Exactly. Yes. And so I think like, to a certain extent, the more you learn about any art discipline, the more empathetic you feel towards it or the more you feel like, oh, this is easy. I'm not impressed anymore because there are a lot of things that look hard but actually aren't. And there are a lot of things that don't look hard but actually are, you know. Um, and I also think it's kind of like if you're a tap dancer but you learn some ballet, it changes your tap dancing, you know, and it makes it sort of deeper, richer in some ways. And I think this is the same thing true as an artist. If you're a painter, but you learn a little bit about, you know, pottery or shoemaking or whatever it is, it naturally has to change the way that you approach paint and the way you think about design and the way you think about forms and shapes and all that kind of stuff. So I think that learning more, knowing more, and getting outside your box is always a good thing and actually you and i talked about this at dinner 
which is uh, we there's an org- it's a charitable organization that you support that has been uh, had the same sort of group of people involved with it for many, many years. And I said the problem with that is because it's a great organization is that people who have been close to an organization for a long time forget how to explain it to outside people because they know it so well. Or mm-hmm. they don't see where the problems are because they're so used to how things are done. And you actually need new people to come into the organization to question, you know, what's happening or to clarify why things are done a certain way because that really helps the organization. And so since I'm not an organization, well, I mean, I suppose technically I'm an organization, but you know what I mean. The What I have to do is I can't bring new people into my organization, but what I can do is I can bring myself outside of my bubble and I can look at how, what's the process that other artists work in? What's the, you know, way that other things get done? And then that helps me come back to my business and to the kind of art that I make and reevaluate where I am and try to make some positive changes. I think that's a really important point. And to be aware of that, is really a, a guideline toward growth. Yeah. It's the idea that you can always be better. Yeah. I think I think that it's always that delicate balance, uh, right? Which is you never want to be a person who doesn't appreciate or take a moment to celebrate and smell the roses, but you also always want to be looking for what's next, what's better. It's, it's, what's that old saying? It's like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. And you should always surround yourself, right? With people who are smarter, more talented, better than you so that you can keep getting better. And, and I really subscribe to that theory. Well, then I'm going to come along with you (laughs) into these different rooms. (laughs) But I think I think I, I think it's like occasionally I have been in a class where I have realized that I'm much further along as a student than other people. And I've had to ask myself, you know, how am I going to get something out get of something this? Get something out of this. You know what I mean? How am I going to get something out of this? And then you really have to be looking for the lesson learned. And sometimes it's actually saying, well, look how this person who's never done this is approaching this. And maybe that's something for me to learn about uh, when I teach, or maybe that's a fresh new perspective that I should take on or do you know what I mean? Like, can you find, again, that's like, can you find the lesson in the thing that could otherwise be a disappointment? Well, that, and part of that I have to say is looking at other people, at their work, at their approach. Because if you're always just looking at your own work and your own self, you're not getting that stimulation of having these other people. Um, well, I was going to say tirade for just a moment. Yes. So this is, um, I listened to this podcast, uh, How I Built This, and I've started to notice that a lot of people who have built these companies, which is what the whole podcast is about, is like, okay, so you're the president of Southwest Airlines or Bobby Brown Cosmetics. Like, how how did that happen? How did this enormous company come? Mm-hmm. And, like, there's so many of them 
who the way that they got an opportunity or a connection or whatever it was from an accidental conversation in an elevator, meeting somebody at a party, talking to someone, you know, at a baseball game, like all these random things that I think we don't do so much because we are essentially self-interested because we're on our devices constantly, which is basically, you know, some form of self-love right there. Um, and so we're not talking to strangers. We're not sort of cross-pollinating each other. And it's it's even more symptomatic than that. Like there was this huge article in the New York Times a couple years ago that's definitely stayed with me that was about how because of the pricing of rent and buying things in New York, the idea of like artists cross-pollinating because a dancer lives next door to a trumpet player who lives next door to an artist. Do you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't happen. People are so spread out. There are no places where people, you know, congregate. And so you're actually losing a ton of cross-pollination in art because people are, and it also, I will just say this, my own personal theory is that everything online is guaranteed to give me the ideas that I like, the images that I like, right? It's like you constantly have this yes man in your computer or your device because all the algorithms are designed to show you only the things that you like and nothing that you don't. And you're always seeking out the thing that you already know you want to know. Exactly. And not stumbling exactly. on stuff. So then yeah. everything I see in my Instagram feed, everything I see on Pinterest, everything, it's all stuff I all that's already in my comfort zone. That's stuff I already like. I'm not being exposed to the things that are upsetting to me or different to me or ugly to me. And I think you need those things. And I know that in my life, I don't want to be surrounded by people who just say yes to me. I want that friend who says that's crap. I want the friend who says to me, I, I disagree with you completely. I mean, you know, you want those people in your life who you who you respect and who are honest. And it's like you're the sort of computer and web browser no longer is. It no longer just provides a flat field. It's only the stuff that you like and agree with. And so that's really hard then to push you to go outside to get that other perspective i feel that's my job <laughs> is to say no that's crap oh i know you think that's your job i'm very clear <laughs> on that but yeah you know but in but in the nicest way oh i know always delivered with a smile and the desire to help <laughs> yes <laughs> okay is there anything you want to say about uh the year to come so the year to come, I think I have narrowed my current business to goals, right? You can have two goals for your business. So I think my- You can have as many as you, you want, as many but as you, you won't want. achieve them. It's true. The two that I am wanting to pursue at the top of 2019, okay, are one, I want to make sure that my online class plan- continues through the year and is strong and full of fantastic content and really good. And then I'll reevaluate whether the semester plan is working for me after I've done a full cycle, meaning three more sets of four classes. And then at that okay. time, I'll decide whether I want to keep going forward with it or not. But I feel like I want to give it a fair shake and see. So that's goal one. Um, goal two is the garment sewing which is mm. I'm not going to put myself on a crazy plan that I know I won't do like one garment a month because I think that's insane. 
But I would like to, over the course of 2019, make six garments of some kind at some point. It may mean that I'll go through an insane period where I'll make like four garments one month and then that's, you know, pick up the other two somehow else. Or it may mean that it's one here, one there, whatever it is. But that's sort of a goal for me um, because I think that garment sewing is something that I will never do professionally. Like I'm never going to be a fashion designer. I'm never going to make garments for other people. But I would like to be able to both make and alter garments for me that because uh, I love to dye cloth and I love to express my personal style that way. And I think uh, also from a sewing point of view, it takes a lot more um, types of skills than quilting or anything like that does. Garments ha have a slight more complicated bend to them. They use more different kinds of stitches. So it'll be a good way for me to learn more about sewing. It just kind of hits a lot of buttons. And, uh, you know, I think it would be one of those things that once I learn more about garments, I will also now turn all the garments inside out and be like, what is this? <laughs> Watch out. You'll be unable to buy inexpensive clothes then. Or will I look at expensive clothes and say, this isn't worth the money? That's true. <laughs> you never know. So I think, so those are my two major business side goals. Okay. So basically it's improve your skills with sewing. It's improve my skills with sewing and it's keep my classes going. Yes. All right. Well, we'll see next December Ooh. how it's gone. I know. But here again, because you've said you, you should feel free to get rid of anything that's not serving you. You're not bound by this. You've already covered yourself. If it doesn't work out for you with one of these goals, it's because it wasn't serving you. Right. Because it's important to reevaluate and to know. Did you not achieve those goals because you weren't really trying? Or did you not achieve those goals because you weren't really interested? Or did you not achieve those goals? You know what I mean? Like, what are the reasons for it? And then you can kind of drill down. I think it is uh, an important thing that you said at the beginning of the podcast, which is it's not that I don't have the time to deep dive into quilting. It's that I don't want to make the time because I would have to push something else out. And I think all the time when people say that they don't have time to make art, I always say you do have the time. It's just that's a choice, which is you'd rather spend time with your kids, which is awesome. You'd rather spend time, you know, looking at Instagram. That's totally fine. Like, but it is a thing about you needing to be honest with yourself about the choices that you're making and that they are choices. Well, then I'll go back to the thing. Another thing you said, which I think is important, which is the difference between I ought to and I want to. And yes. often... When I find that I can't make a certain decision, it's because it's an ought to, but I don't really want to. And I don't want to tell myself that I don't want to because I feel like I ought to. So right. that has freed me up in some ways with some decisions because I now can say a little bit more, well, you know what? I don't want to do it. And I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I mean, I ought to lose five pounds, but I don't want to stop eating cookies. There you go. There you go. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I think that's it. That's time for us to wrap up. So any last thoughts, mom, before we go? No, I think that's enough wisdom for one podcast. Wow. People always say that they love your wisdom. They call you Yoda. 
So as always, you can find me at ballsresigns.typepad.com. Do leave us your comments or questions at ballsresigns.com backslash arting, A-R-T-I-N-G. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, if you still use Twitter, please use the hashtag <laughs> artingpodcast. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on iTunes because that helps other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.